Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. As you are making your travel plans, remember to check johnnydollarair.com first. johnnydollarair.com is a Prostline affiliate link, so part of your purchase price will support the great detectives of old-time radio at no additional cost to you. So when remember, when traveling, check johnnydollarair.com first. A reminder, if you're not subscribed to the podcast and would like to get a... Uh, Another old-time radio detective program every day, Monday through Saturday. You can subscribe using your favorite podcasting app, whether it's Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or uh, the Amazon Music app at uh, amazon.com slash otrdetectives. Well, now it is time for us to wrap up the Cronin Matter on yours truly, Johnny Dollar. The original air dates are uh, December the 7th to December the 9th of 1955. Let's go ahead and take a listen. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Hello. Dollar, you the Mr. Dollar that's been trying to phone me? Is this Dr. Bigby? That's exactly who it is, and I'm very busy right now. Look, Dr. Bigby, I want you to come out here just as soon as possible. It's the old Cronin Summer Place, about five miles up the river from where... Oh, I know where it is, I know. What are you doing up there? The house has been closed for years. Mrs. Cronin opened it up for a party this weekend, but she was taken ill on the train coming up, and I want... Is Dolly out there? Yes, she's the one I want you to look at. So she's back. After all these years, she's come back. She had a prescription from her doctor in New York, but she's taken the last of it. It's apparently her heart. I'm sorry, Mr. Dollar. I'm very busy tonight. Oh, what? Much too busy, and then there's a storm coming up, and I have a patient someplace, I think. Now, wait a second. If you're a friend of Dolly's, uh, Mrs. Cronin's, do one thing. Take her back to New York. Now. Tonight. Get her out of here. Fast. Before it's too late. <laughs> Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar at Wells Falls, New York, to the home office, Surety Mutual and Trust Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Cronin Matter. A half-million-dollar necklace. Expense account continued. Item 7, $5.40, taxi. I figured I'd find Dr. Bigby in one of the local pubs, but I covered them all in about 30 minutes. No sale. And unfortunately, Bigby was the only doctor in Wells Falls. Worse, the local druggist couldn't fill Mrs. Cronin's prescription. The nearest chance was Tupper Lake, 25 miles away. Back out at the Cronin place, I turned the taxi over to Jason Prell, Mrs. Cronin's business advisor, and he took off for Tupper Lake to look for the medicine. Then I went looking for Mrs. Atherton, a village woman who had been housekeeping on the estate since the place was built. I found her in the kitchen. Storm's brewing up, coming out of the mountains. It'll hit us for morning. They always come in the night. 
I guess you've seen a lot of storms in these hills, Mrs. Atherton. Lived here all my life, never been out of them. It's Miss Atherton, not Mrs. Oh. She's the missus up in the bed. Even if she is a widow. Little Dolly. Mrs. Cronin. Till death do us part. Did you know Barnaby Cronin, Miss Atherton? Yes, I knew him. Of course I knew him. I worked here. Oh, yes, you were here then. What kind of a man was he? Like any other man. And according to Dolly, Mrs. Cronin, she apparently worshipped him. Still does, in fact. Dolly's always worshipping something. Everybody was always worshipping her. She had us all dancing to her tune and without even trying. You knew her back then? She was born and raised here in the village. I thought everybody knew that. No, that's what I missed. Well, we used to work together, waiting tables at the summer hotels around here. That's where Jason Prell saw her. Told her she ought to be on Broadway. She left the town the next week. Didn't come back again till after she and Barnaby was married. And she got him to spend a fortune to build this place for her. Well, I guess he had the fortune to spend. Oh, yes. She married well. Count on Dolly for that. Always got whatever she wanted and never even had to ask. Things were just given to her, always. Yeah, probably so. But she's been pretty generous herself. Like uh, keeping you on here, for instance, when the house has been closed up for years with nobody using it. Oh, she's the dancing darling, all right, right to the end. Well, now, if you'll excuse uh, me... There I... was something else I wanted to ask you, Miss Atherton. I'm not one to talk ordinarily, but you got me started. Well, this is not about Mrs. Cronin, at least not directly. She was taken ill on the train. I don't think it's serious, but I wanted a doctor to look her over. The only one in the village seems to be a man by the name of Bigby. Bigby? He's the coroner here, but he's not a doctor. No? Oh, not anymore. Still calls himself one, but he lost his license ten years ago. He's a drunken sot. Yeah, I kind of figured. But he sobered up fast when I told him on the phone that the patient was Mrs. Cronin. He refused to come out, told me to get her away from here fast, and then he hung up on me. Forget him. He couldn't do her any good. But I'd, I'd like to know why he acted that way. Do you happen to know any reason? Bigby is a drunk. Who knows what his reasons are? I thought you might. Better ask him. What difference does it make anyway? He can't help her. Nobody can. What do you mean? She's come back, finally. For the first time in all these years. Took sick on the train. That wasn't any surprise to her. She knew it was going to happen. Well, I guess she halfway knew. She knew. It's like with an animal. When it's hurt or sick and it comes home to die, and that's what she's done. She's come home to die. No, I think you're wrong there, Miss Atherton. I don't think she's anywhere near that sick. Barnaby didn't think so either, when he came back here to die. Barnaby died here? Yes, in this very house. A heart attack, it was called. He came up on the afternoon train and... Hmm. That's strange. It was the same kind of night. A storm like tonight. Strange how things move in patterns. Were you here with him, Miss Atherton? Barnaby died alone. And the doctor? Bigby? Miss Atherton was the doctor. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I was thinking. The bridges were washed out. Bigby didn't get here till the next morning. Wouldn't have mattered. He couldn't have done anything. 
Nobody could have. When it's time for a thing to be done, it's done. Nobody can stop it. Nobody. It was a strange evening, ominous and oppressive, with a feel of violence in the air. Even the house itself added to the feeling. Furnished lavishly in a style 30 years forgotten, it seemed garish now, old and tired and lonesome. Like Mrs. Cronin herself, who'd planned a grand party for all her old friends, and instead lay ill and alone in the bedroom upstairs. The queen gave a party, and nobody came. All dressed up, no place to go. Yeah, gloomy evening. Jason Prell came back from Tupper Lake with a medicine. Miss Atherton served a dinner of sorts, served it in silence, and we were left to our own devices. Five guests and a mansion built for a hundred. Prell stayed pretty much to himself. Lovely Laura Dean, with that air of knowing innocence, inveigled Shorty Weber into teaching her some of his old dance routines, and they cranked up an old phonograph in the music room. And me... I just stood at an open window and watched the rain come down and tried to think. That's the perfect touch. It's exactly what the evening needed. That music? Ah, Sylvia. Really cornball, isn't it? (laughs) No, no, Johnny. I I meant the thunderstorm. An isolated old mansion. Fabulous necklace of diamonds and emeralds. Weird housekeeper. A hostess lying ill. And now rain. Shades of a house of usher. That'll make a good lead for your magazine story. I should have stayed in New York and just written it, not lived it. Oh, I thought you were the big take-a-chance girl, Miss Blake. Danger, mystery, adventure. Don't those things appeal to you? Maybe. Is there any of that lying around somewhere? There may be, before the night's over. Well, all I can see at the moment is sheer boredom. You have to know where to look. In the bottom of that scotch glass, for instance? Oh, <laughs> just killing time. Oh. Uh, I've been wanting to uh, ask you, Johnny... How'd you get that cut on your head? Uh, it's a long story. It happened on the train, I know that. You didn't have it when we left. A sudden stop. I fell over my suitcase. Sure you did. Backwards. Huh? It's on the back of your head. Somebody made a try for it, didn't they? On the train coming up. Well, I don't know what they were trying for. It wasn't time to ask. Maybe they even got it. That's the way you were betting, wasn't it? That it wouldn't be just an attempt. That somebody was going to get it and get away with it. Did they? Is that what happened? Is it gone? All right, just stand there and grin, then. Oh, rain. I'm going back to the city tomorrow. You are? Well, don't smother me with your pleading. (laughs) No, stick around, Sylvia. Things may get better, including the music. You know, in a way, I hope somebody did get the circle of fire. Why? What good is that fabulous necklace doing her now, lying up there? She's had everything she ever wanted. Life's been too easy on her. She doesn't deserve it. She ought to lose it. Her life or the necklace? The necklace, of course. You know, for reasons I can't go into, I think you'll be sorry you said that someday. Sorry? Why? She's a woman who's had everything. You're pretty bitter, aren't you? Hurt and afraid. Am I? You feel something big may have passed you by, and you put up that tight, bright front for protection... But inside, you're tied in knots. And what is your recommendation, Doctor? A man, perhaps? That's the usual advice. Now, you said it. I didn't. Well, you're a man, Johnny. Why don't you smooch with me? It'd be a way of passing the evening, killing time. All right. What are you... Johnny, wait! Johnny. What? Why did you do it? Because you wanted me to, and because I wanted to. Adventure? Mystery? Danger. 
Who's bored? Who's going back to the city? Those doctors are right. Dollar, could I talk to you for a minute? Why not, Shorty? What's on your mind? I don't know exactly why you call us all together and It here. was Mrs. Cronin's idea. She set it up with me earlier. Well, it ain't got nothing to do with what I want to say. You, you, you seen me in a bad light there yesterday at Dolly's apartment. Well... Well, you found a gun in me. You know about my record. It made it look bad. I, I know it did. But say, help me, Mr. Dollar. Everything I told you was the gospel truth. Yeah. I'd break my arm before I'd do anything to harm Dolly in the least bit. You see... I've been in love with that woman for 35 years. Like that broke my heart when she married Barnaby. But I always knew I didn't have no chance right from the start. She was up there, big, somebody. Me, I was a nobody. But I'd still die for her any time. That's all, Mr. Dollar. I just wanted you to know. They were all there, gathered around the big dining table, watching me and waiting. Mrs. Cronin had asked me to arrange it. She said that was the main reason they'd come, and she didn't want to disappoint them. I told them that. And then I took the circle of fire from my pocket and laid it on the table. They all reacted in different ways. Laura Dean gave a gasp, and her eyes opened wide. And Sylvia... Look at it. Just look at it. Sylvia Blake was fascinated, hypnotized. Yeah, you should have seen it on her back in the old days. It sparkled even twice as much. So that's what this is all about. It's only jewelry. I've seen it before. But there was one special reaction I was looking for, and I got it. Jason Prell's face went white. Who could imagine anything so beautiful? Mr. Prell, you seem surprised. I wasn't carrying the necklace in its case, the case you stole from me on the train. I was carrying it loose in my pocket. What did you do? Throw the case off the train without even bothering to... It's running away! Prell! I went after him, but he'd already disappeared somewhere down the hall. He knew the layout of the house, and I didn't. I searched the different rooms quickly as I passed, but there was no sign of him. He couldn't have reached the floors above, but he might have gone down toward the game room and lower halls. I eased my gun from its holster and started slowly down the stairs. And at that moment, every light in the house went out. Johnny Dollar. Hello, Sheriff. I can't hear you for the storm. We were cut off before. Hello? Is that you, Sheriff? I said... Hello? You get cut off again, Mr. Dollar? Not this time, Shorty. Somebody cut the wire. The phone's dead. Then we got no way of getting white out. No way of getting help. No, not at the moment. And he's out there in the dark somewhere. He's got a gun and there's no telling what he may try and do. Shorty, get away from that window. Well, we know where he is now and what he intends, because he just made a try at it. What are you going to do about him? Only thing I can do, Shorty, go get him before he gets me. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar at the Cronin Estate, Wells Falls, New York, to the home office, Surety Mutual and Trust Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Cronin matter. Protection of a half-million-dollar necklace. Expense account continued. Item 10, $135. One tweed sport jacket to be purchased on my return. Both lapels and one shoulder ripped by a bullet. Also one pair of slacks to match. Destroyed a few minutes later in the mud, slush, and underbrush in the grounds of the Cronin place 
while pursuing a suspect who'd already tried twice to kill me and who made a third go at it when I stepped out of the side door of the house. Tony, away from the door, quick. Boy, that was close. Yeah, he can see the door opening, but he can't see us, not in this mess. He's desperate, he's shooting blind. Look, Shorty, why don't you go on back in the house? There's no reason for you taking chances like this. You're taking them? With me, it's a job of work. I get paid for it. I told you earlier how I felt about Dolly, I mean. I don't know what Jason Prell's game is, Mr. Dollar, but if it's against her, then I'm against him. I'm staying. All right, it's up to you. Thanks for giving me the gun back. Emergency, that's all. You've got a prison record, Shorty. You know what it means if you're caught with a gun. Yeah, I know, I know. (laughs) Hey, good. I figured Prell would give himself away if he kept that up. I got him spotted now. Where? At the base of that tall pine, a little to the left. Watch for it, the next flash of lightning. There, yeah, yeah, now I see it. I know the one you mean. Then stay here and keep him pinned down. It's a good spot. You've got cover from the wall of the terrace there. What are you going to do? Circle around and come up beside him. Just throw a shot at the base of that pine tree now and then. Keep him tied down. Keep him busy, you got it? Right, and good luck. I left the shelter of the house and started edging through the shrubbery. The undergrowth was a regular jungle. It would have been impossible to slip up on Prell without his hearing if it hadn't been for the storm. Shorty Weber fired now and then at the pine tree. And twice Prell fired an answer. Jason Prell, so-called friend of old Mrs. Cronin, knew I had him tagged. At first I'd been guessing mainly, but he didn't know it. And he'd lost his head and made the guess prove out. And now he was apparently ready to risk murder or death rather than face a prison term. I was within 30 feet of him. He hadn't heard a sound. He was still firing at Shorty over on the terrace. His back was turned partly toward me. He didn't know I was near, so I leveled my gun. Get your hands up, Prell. Drop that gun. You're covered. He whirled, peering into the darkness of the bushes, trying to see me. He knew I was close, but he couldn't tell where. He raised his gun, started to turn, and... I'm not quite certain what happened next. The light was bad, and I could hardly see him. Whether he stumbled accidentally or... Or what is something I'll never know. All I know is that when I walked over to him, he was dead. He was no good, Mr. Dollar. I always thought so, but Dolly swore by me at her fool. What about Barnaby, her husband? He couldn't stand Prell at first. Later, they got us tickets, thieves. Yeah. Well, it's a mess, Shorty, a real mess. Old things that should have stayed dead and buried on the bottom, they're all coming to the surface now. Tell me something, Mr. Dollar. Yeah? What about Dolly? Is this thing going to kick back on her? Will she get hurt by it? Yeah, Shorty, I'm afraid she will. Pretty badly. It was deep into the night, edging toward dawn, when I got back to the house. I changed out of my wet clothes, went to the game room, and got Dolly's necklace from under a chair cushion. I'd stuck it there when Prell had pulled the main switch and put the lights out. Then I went upstairs to look in on Dolly Cronin, quietly, just to check. But it didn't work out that way. Johnny, is that you? Yeah. I didn't mean to wake you. You didn't. I've been awake most of the night. Come on in, Johnny. All right. How are you feeling? Oh, just fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I feel fine. Good. Isn't Laura Dean a nice girl? Huh? Yes, she is. And I'm glad she came. Company for you, Johnny. Oh, yeah. Quite a storm we had, wasn't it? Oh, it was beautiful. All that lightning, wind, thunder. Oh, I haven't seen such a beautiful storm since I was little. 
Johnny, thought I heard shots a while ago. Shots? Outdoors, off toward the woods somewhere. Oh, it might have been lightning, thunder. Sounded like a gun, like somebody shooting. Well, sound plays funny tricks up here in the mountains. I guess so, but... Well, I've been thinking back over the past so much that makes the present a little unreal. I'm afraid the past is about all I have left now. Now, don't be so quick to sell this future of yours short. You've got a lot of years yet, good years. Well, I had a lot of good years. Good friends, good times, a good life. And best of all was Barnaby. You loved him very much, didn't you, Mrs. Cronin? I worshipped him. He was perfect. He never did a wrong thing in his life. Now that he's gone, he's the one fine memory I always cling to. Oh, if I didn't have that, well, I just couldn't go on. Well, then let's hope you never lose that memory. Of course, there were other good friends, too over the years, like Jason Prell. Hmm. He is so quiet and withdrawn. It takes a long time to get to know him. But he's been such a good friend to me. He's so patient with all this silly ignorance of mine about business problems. Yes, I'm sure he has. I just don't know what I'd do without him. Yeah. Now, don't you think you'd better get some sleep? In a little while. You know, Johnny, it's funny how things work out. In what way? I was born and grew up right here in this village. Yes, your housekeeper, Miss Atherton, told me the two of you were girls together. We were inseparable. Like I said, I grew up here and then I went away. And Barnaby and I came back and built this house and we went away again. There were always so many places to go, new things to do. It's a big world, isn't it? And finally, Barnaby came back for the last time and died here, all alone, poor boy. And now I've come back, the place where I was born. Everything finally comes home, doesn't it, Johnny? Yes, nearly always. I'm very tired. I think I will sleep now. Be good for you. The necklace, Johnny, do you have it with you? I sure do. Here you are. So beautiful. And so many memories. All so long ago. Put it on me, will you, Johnny? Of course. Raise up now. Just a little. How do I look? Sweet enough to kiss. Well? Nice. You gotta sleep now. Yes, sir. I'll only look at the necklace for one minute only. Then I'll take my pills and go to sleep. And then I'll dream up a dream. A great big dream. Good night. Dancing, darling. Been a long time since anyone called me that. A long, long time. 
Good night, Johnny. Thank you. I left her and went downstairs and rustled myself a pot of coffee. I sat down by an east window and drank it cup after cup and watched the morning sun come up. Dream a big dream. Well, before many more hours, she was going to need a big dream. There was no way of keeping it from her, all of it. The fact that Jason Prell was dead, shot, that he'd attempted murder and tried to steal a necklace. And worst of all, that her beloved Barnaby had probably been as big a crook as Prell. If a girl who can't sleep sits this one out with you? Sure. Pull up a chair, Laura. Like some coffee? Just black, thank you. I guess it wouldn't do much good to ask you what's been going on around here all night. Something has? Like I said, I guess it wouldn't do much good. Here's your coffee. Oh, thanks. That's how I found you. Just followed the smell of this coffee. Mm, good. I guess if I said I heard somebody shooting up the place during the storm, you'd just say, really? Never use the word. And I guess if I showed you that broken window over there, you'd say maybe a pigeon flew in. Might, if I happen to think of it. I'm sorry all this kept you awake. Well, don't apologize. I probably wouldn't have slept anyway. Why not? Guilty conscience? Don't be silly. I didn't even do it. Do what? Whatever it is I'm supposed to feel guilty about. Lying is what I had in mind at the moment. Oh, I do that all the time, but I never feel guilty about it. I just call it making up things. Like claiming you were the niece of Fritzy Morrell, <laughs> Mrs. Cronin's oldest friend. Gosh, went out my windpipe. Like claiming you're Fritzy Morrell's niece. Mostly I drink tea, but you already had the coffee Like made. claiming you're Fritzy... All right, all right. How'd you find out? Nothing very spectacular. She just didn't have a niece. I wasn't sure, but I thought she must. Everybody her age has at least one niece. What was the idea? Well? Well, I lived in the same rooming house she did. She liked me, talked to me a lot before she died last year. So when the invitation came last week, I got the idea of going as her niece. I didn't mean any harm by it. I just wanted to go to the party. All right, relax. That's about the way I figured it. Well, it turned out to be quite a party, didn't it? I hope I never see another one like this as... Johnny. Johnny, what's wrong with her? It was Miss Atherton. I got up slowly from my chair as she walked toward us and then stopped a few feet from the table. Her eyes were fixed on something far away and the look on her face was strange and grim. I think I knew even before she spoke. Mrs. Cronin is dead. Johnny Dollar. Dr. Bigby here. Dr. Bigby, I'm asking you for the second time now to come out to the Cronin place. I told you last night, Mr. Dollar. The circumstances are different now, a lot different. We don't need a doctor. We need a coroner. A coroner? Where are you calling from? The operator told me the phone out there was out of order. It is. I'm at a forestry station a mile down the road. Jason Prell cut the wires last night before he was killed. Jason killed? Shot to death during the storm. So that's how he ended up. Took a long time, but everything finally comes home. Yes, Mrs. Cronin said the same thing an hour or so before she died. Dolly, too. Her heart, Mr. Dollar? In a way, maybe. The dancing darling. Finally at rest. She... What do you mean, in a way? Dr. Bigby, Mrs. Cronin was murdered. 
From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar at the Cronin Estate, Wells Falls, New York, to the Home Office, Surety Mutual and Trust Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Cronin matter. Expense account, final page. Item 13, 10 cents. A half pack of cigarettes I left with a farmer who gave me a lift back from the forestry station. The price of my own feelings at the moment would have been lower. About eight cents lower, in fact. I brewed another pot of coffee and sat down to wait for Bigby. But this time I laced the coffee with brandy. The sun was up by then, clear of the horizon, bringing a bright new morning and a brand new day. The storm was long over, and the world sparkled and danced. But too much of the night was still with me, and the past still too much alive. And yet, maybe Dolly Cronin was better off. She was a part of that past now, where friends were always true. Every minute of life was even more wonderful than the last one. And where she was still, and forever, the dancing darling. Good morning, Johnny. Oh, hi, Sylvia. I'm in the coffee business this morning. How about it? Please. Mm. Having yours with cream, I see. Yeah, bad night. Shall I make yours the same way? Right. I had a bad night, too. Thanks. Hmm. You look real beat, Johnny. Couldn't be any beater. Something pretty terrible happened last night, didn't it? Yes. Jason Prell is dead. Oh. And Dolly Cronin is dead. Oh, no. I loved her, Johnny. I didn't mean what I said last night about life always having been too easy for her, and you were right. It was just being frustrated, tied in knots and covering up. I loved her. She was sweet. Yeah, she was quite a girl. She had something, I don't know. She had love. She loved people, and they loved her in return. Maybe so. Anyway, I guess this belongs to you now. The necklace? The circle of fire? What do you mean it belongs to me? She made a will last night. I witnessed it. She left the necklace to you. I just can't believe it. Johnny, can I... can I put it on? Why not? It's yours. She wanted you to have it. You look good in it. I just can't believe it, Johnny. Well, before you get carried away too far, maybe you'd better brace yourself. Oh, it's not mine after all. Oh, it's yours, all right. But it's not real. What? It's a good copy, worth maybe four or five hundred dollars, but that's all. Well, I, I... I don't understand. It's so well known. The, the circle of fire, it's been written up over and over. Yeah, from old records. But nobody's really examined it for years, since before Barnaby Cronin died. It's been locked up in a bank vault until I took it out. Was there ever a real one? Yes, originally. But it was broken up and disposed of years ago. Jason Prell knew it. was in on the substitution, I suppose. That's why he was so desperate to steal it from me and get rid of it before I found out it was a copy. He knew that if that deal came to light, it would call attention to some of his other activities, worse ones. What do you mean? Prell had complete charge of Mrs. Cronin's estate. He told me it was worth practically nothing... But according to records I saw in New York, it amounted to over a million dollars in the beginning. He was stealing her blind all these years. Oh, it was easy. She was alone in the world, knew nothing about business. She trusted him, thought he was her friend. She trusted everybody, much too much. Well, she sure trusted the wrong ones, including her husband. Barnaby? Sure. What do you think disposed of the necklace and slipped her a copy after making such a big deal out of his fabulous wedding gift? A phony. And she worshipped him. The king. In her book, The Man Who Could Do No Wrong. Well, in the business book, he didn't do much else but wrong. According to the records, most of his deals were pretty shady. Especially after he and Prell teamed up. Yes, Miss Atherton? 
Dr. Bigby is here to see you. All right, Sherman. Mr. Dollar, I wouldn't believe too much of what he says. He's a chronic drunk. Yes, I remember you telling me. Show him in. Yes, sir. Well... I was just thinking, Johnny. Mrs. Cronin didn't know any of this, I assume. No, she was safe in her dream world. And she thought she was giving me the real necklace. That's right. It's crazy. And kind of wonderful, isn't it? Just like that, she gave me something she thought was worth a half a million dollars. Just because I was nice to her and liked her. You know something, Johnny? What? I'm just as glad it is a copy. It's beautiful, and, and I love wearing it. I'd have been scared of the real one. And I'll always remember that, like that dream world of hers, she thought it was real. One more question left, but a big one. The question of murder. And I already had the answer. I was sure of it. And I knew there was nothing I could do about it. Dr. Bigby was a man under 60, but he looked years older. A harried man, tired and worn. He sat down for a moment and we talked. And I began to realize that here was another man who'd been under Dolly Cronin's spell. And who was shocked and hurt by her dying. It was a remarkable thing and a difficult one to explain, Mr. Dollar. Like many another, I suppose, I often wondered why I felt the way I did about her. It was a, a sort of magic she had. Yeah, I know. Even as a girl here in the village, she had that same power and had it without knowing it. Everybody loved her. No, not quite everybody. At least one person didn't. Yes, you mentioned on the phone the word murder. That's right, Dr. Bigby. Who killed her? A man we can't touch because he's already dead. Jason Prell. Well, he's done about everything else, I guess. I wouldn't put it past him. What do you base it on, Mr. Dollar? A bottle of pills. Prell supposedly went to Tupper's Lake last night and got a prescription filled for Mrs. Cronin. She took some of it this morning, an hour and a half before she died. There it is. I'd seen the bottle on the train coming up with a few tablets left on the same prescription. And these are different. Well, you're right on one count, Mr. Dollar. Those aren't what the prescription calls for. What do you mean, one count? I talked to the druggist at Tupper's Lake on the phone last night. He told me about Jason being in. All right, it still stands. He had the prescription filled and then changed the tablets, substituted these. It's possible. Would you happen to know what they are without having them analyzed? I've got a pretty good idea, but I'll wait until I've examined her before I'll say positively. Mr. Dollar, I'd like to explain why I wouldn't come out when you called me last night. Yeah, I wish you would. I'd been drinking. So I gathered. I'd been drinking that other time, too, and I'd made a mistake. I didn't want to make another one. Just what do you mean? When Barnaby Cronin died here, I signed the death certificate. Yes, I know. I hadn't treated him. He was dead when I came out. I called it a heart attack. I was drunk. And I was wrong. Barnaby was poisoned. Go on. I didn't suspect it until later. And then I was afraid to do anything about it. I'd signed that certificate, and I... Knew it would break me. So I kept still. And I consoled myself with drink. And finally, it broke me. So the same end result was achieved. Look, Dr. Bigby, if Barnaby Cronin was here alone, then how was he poisoned? Alone, he wasn't alone. When he died, she was here with him. 
Mrs. Cronin? Of course not. Why do you think he was always making trips up here, always by himself? I didn't know he was. For years, every week or two, the whole village knew about it. She was here with him that night. She's the one who called me, asked me to protect her good name. She's the one who poisoned him. And now she's had another try with the same poison. But why? Ask her why. Ring for her and ask her. That won't be necessary. <clears throat> well, I'll go on up and make my examination. Well, Miss Atherton, I'm asking, why? He was planning to break off our relation. He told me that night she'd finally won. That silly little fool had finally won. But I didn't let her win. I killed him. You're confessing to murder, you know. It doesn't matter now. I've accomplished everything I meant to accomplish. So it was you who changed the tablets in her prescription bottle and substituted the poison? Of course. It was so easy. For once in my life, things were just as easy for me as they'd always been for her. Will you have the sheriff come out, Mr. Dollar? I'd like to make my confession. It's odd how things work out sometimes, Mr. Dollar. Yeah. Mrs. Cronin said something like that last night. I was pretty certain when you showed me the tablets, but I wanted to make my examination first. What do you mean? After Barnaby died and I started to suspect Miss Atherton, I managed to steal the poison from her in order to analyze it. I substituted harmless tablets of the same general appearance. And those are what she's kept all these years? What she gave to Mrs. Cronin? That's right. They were perfectly harmless. But in that case... Dolly Cronin died from a heart condition. The tablets had nothing to do with it. In a sense, Dolly died the same way she lived. From natural causes. Expense account item 14, $83.90. Incidentals and transportation from Wells Falls back to Hartford. Expense account total, $263.30. End of account, end of report. Remarks? The insurance angle here seems a little muddy. Premiums were paid for years on an item that didn't exist. And yet, no claim was filed and none will be. So, well, I leave it to your legal eagles. Me, I'm beaten, tired. Maybe a little sad. I've come out of this with a kind of nostalgia. And for a time and place I never even knew. I've been halfway in love with a girl back in that time and place. A girl I've never seen. <laughs> oh, sure, I know. It's a dream world and a dream girl. And none of it exists. But it's too bad. I wish it did. Because she must have been a honey. A real sweetheart. A dancing darling. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Remember, please, there'll be a new exciting story on Johnny Dollar beginning next Monday. Next week, the story of a man worth $50,000 who didn't have a cent to his name. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Les Crutchfield, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. 
Heard in this week's cast were Virginia Gregg, Shirley Mitchell, Vivi Janis, Barbara Fuller, Benny Rubin, John Daner, and Parley Bear. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. Welcome back. The Cronin Matter was originally announced to air the week that the Amy Bradshaw Matter ended up playing. Of course, that was the first of the giant animal promotion weeks. And the stories had to be made shorter to fit the commercials in. And given the way John Stone produced the scripts, he recorded three weeks in advance... The Cronin Matter had probably already been written by the time the deal was reached to have the giant animal promotion. And so he would have had to have Les Crutchfield come in and cut the script down. And I th think we can all be thankful that uh, Jack Johnstone opted not to do that. This is, uh, you know, a good example of the strength of Crutchfield's writing and how he can use that really well in this five-part format to really uh, develop a lot of characters and relationships and really just kind of flesh out the scene and make the characters seem more real. And you also do have uh, a good number of suspects that Johnny has to work his way through. Now, in terms of the episode, your enjoyment may be partially determined by how much you think that ignorance really is bliss. As Dolly Cronin essentially was surrounded by people who kept difficult information from her so that she would not be unhappy. But we kind of see the drawbacks of that. Uh, a couple of them is that uh, there were, were people who were hiding things from her you know, like Barnaby and Jason Prell, who were not looking out after her best interests, but were able to kind of blend in with those who were more well-intentioned in their white lies. And, of course, it didn't stop her from having people who hated her despite her kindness and sweetness, which made her potential prey for someone like Miss Atherton. And I think it also never really let her develop her character. Now, don't get me wrong, I think Mrs. Cronin was a very sweet, lockable lady, you know, even in the radio program. And I, for one, do not hold Johnny's sort of uh 
following the same sort of behavior against him. You do not want to be the first person to really tell a sweet old lady with delicate health the hard truths and facts of life. But somewhere along the way in her 50 to 60 plus years on that earth, she really should have learned. Because in many ways, her sweetness was based on naivete. And I think there's something to be said for sweetness and kindness that has seen people for who they are and seen the potential of mankind to be cruel, to be mean, has felt the sting of betrayal and chooses to be kind and to be sweet anyway. I did actually have uh, a couple of questions on the ending and what uh, the doctor said. Uh, first with the pills, because essentially Dr. Bigby switched the poison that Miss Atherton used in the first poisoning with something that was harmless and kind of assumed that that was what she still had. And I question whether that assumption makes any sense. Or, you know, even if you could make an argument for making sense, if it would be actually believable. Because the thing with Miss Atherton is, you know, she kept the poison around the house for years and years. And she'd been nursing this resentment. And you get the idea that she had been waiting for Mrs. Cronin to return. And, of course, we don't know what the poison is. But I know, for example, that prescription medications lose their efficacy over time. That's what expiration dates are about. It seems plausible, and I would just think if I were in her shoes, that these poison pills will probably lose efficacy, and the way she was, she would not want to take a chance on Mrs. Cronin surviving. So I'm having trouble believing that she didn't, uh, you know, replace that poison with other poison in, you know, at least the decade since he lost his medical license. The other thing I, I wonder about, and I guess anyone with uh, criminal law knowledge might be able to speak to this, but Mrs. Cronin had a uh, prescription for heart medication. She died of her heart condition. It does seem even if you assume that the pills she was given were harmless or inert, um, it does seem like if you switch out heart patient's pills for something else and they end up dying, that there ought to be some sort of law against that. So it might be tricky to prove whether Mrs. Cronin would have lived with her pill or would have ended up dying regardless. 
At any rate, if anyone is an expert, I would love to hear their feedback, even if I won't get to it for a couple of weeks. Because of the absence, I think based on the volume of comments that I get, that with a much shorter time off, I should be able to get to everything that's left over the next couple of weeks. So if you're an expert on uh, either of these subjects, love to hear from you. Box13 at greatdetectives.net. Now let's go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Jill, Patreon supporter since August of 2019, currently supporting the program at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Jill. And that will do it for today. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, you can subscribe using your favorite podcast app, whether it's Overcast, Spotify, or Amazon Music at amazon.com slash otrdetectives. If you uh, are enjoying this podcast, please be sure to rate and review it wherever you download it from. You can also recommend us on Facebook. We'll be back next Tuesday with the start of another Johnny Dollar Serial. But listen up tomorrow for Tales of the Texas Rangers, where... Oh, here they are, Mrs. Beale. I'm Mrs. Beale, Rangers. The desk clerk said you wanted to talk to me. Yes, ma'am. We're interested in anything you can remember about this. Uh, yes. Well, I was lying in bed trying to sleep. I knew I wouldn't sleep because my asthma was bothering me, but I thought I'd try anyhow. What time was this, ma'am? Uh, time? Oh, well, I'm not exactly sure, but it couldn't have been more than 30 minutes after I took my brown pill, so I'd say it was about 9.30. Uh, it was just a couple of minutes to 10 when you called me, Mrs. Bill. I know that, young man. What I wanted to tell the ranger started long before that. Now, let's see, where was I? You were lying in bed, ma'am. Oh, yes. Well, I heard the door open in the next room. I didn't want to listen, but you know how thin these walls are, and when those people come into the room, they made so much noise. How many were there? Well, there was an old man. I understand he was the one who died. And there was a younger man. He had a real deep voice. But the one I heard clearest was the girl. Girl? That's right. She had the most piercing voice I ever heard, and the way she was laughing, I could tell she had no breathing. Could you hear what they were saying? Well, I, I, I think tried... that's your phone, Mrs. B. Oh, dear, just when I was Well, I'll in... take it for you. If you oh, want. that would be nice of you, young man. You tell whoever it is that I'm very busy. Right. Ma'am, uh, ma'am, you were saying you could hear the people in the next room were talking? Uh, yes, yes, I could. They'd all been drinking. And then they started to tell the most awful stories, simply awful. I want to put my hands over my... I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.